Hey, this is Dave Chris. I'm the pastor of We're One based out of Gateway Assembly, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that this equips you and encourages you in your faith to see Jesus more clearly in your life. Let's hit it. What's up, what's up? I just want to thank Pastor Dave, first of all, for letting me speak. This is a huge honor. Um, especially tonight, I'm like, I'm super excited about the word that God has, has given us, man. I told my wife earlier, I was like, I'm going to need God to just speak it through me. I can't even, I'm in my living room trying to practice this and I just ball on my couch. It's not even heavy. It's just powerful. God has given us such a uncomplicated, easy to digest, applicable, practical, simple, down-to-earth message. And so I just want to open in prayer, and we're going to get into it. Jesus, we just thank you for being here already. We thank you for your Holy Spirit moving in us and through us. Lord, we ask for that change that you're starting right now to just continue from the inside out in every single one of us tonight. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and find your seat. So tonight, I want to talk about an unwritten rule when you are shooting hoops with your friends. See, there's this unwritten rule when you're just shooting around with all your buddies around the hoop, and then we all have that friend that loves to violate this rule. They know the rule, but they still violate it. They go up for a layup or a short shot, and then they want the ball back. And you're like, you want the reward for an easy little scoop to the basket, go make a three, and I'll give you the ball back. I'll give you the reward. So what do, you, what do you say when someone goes up for a layup and they want that ball back? You go, no range, no change. No range, no change. Tonight, God's telling you, no range, no change. We're talking about change. You see, we have to first change our minds about how we think about change. There's this this preconceived idea that people hate change, that people are resistant to change, that they don't want change. Well, let's, let's rearrange our thought process right now with the reality that people love change, right? Think about it. You go to the store, buy new clothes, new shoes, new haircut, new nails, whatever it is, you are literally paying money to change how you look. People love change. People don't want to be changed, though. They want change. They just don't like to be changed. And you know why they don't like to be changed? I've realized that people have no idea how valuable the new is until they let go of the old. And if you can't let go of the old, you will never step into the new. 
You want a new pair of shoes? But you don't want to let go of your old beat-up vans that you've been wearing for five years and they got holes in them? This is my wife preaching at me right now. She got me shoes for Christmas, and I was like, I already got shoes. She says, those are not shoes. Those are turning into flip-flops. <laughs> People want change. So here's, here's how it works, though. The Lord revealed three things to me. Number one, things change. Things all around you, they change. And especially in the, the, the day we live in, things change very quickly. Think about this. One year ago today, where were we? At home, watching this service on YouTube. Locked up, not able to do anything fun. Can't even go play putt-putt or see a movie. Try and come up with date ideas in quarantine. What are you supposed to do? Things change quickly. I heard a stat that um, 90% of all of the scientists that have ever lived are alive right now. I heard another stat that 50% of all the inventions that have ever been invented were invented in the last 25 years. Things are changing quickly. The other way that change happens is you change. Things change and you change. And I was kind of wrestling with this with the Lord, just like, that's it? Like things change and then I change? Is that it? Like, that's all you got for me? And he said, no, there's a third option. But we often forget about this or breeze past it because it's hard. You change things. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about how to be changed so that you can be changed. And the man I want to talk about, his name's Paul. If we look at Paul, if you don't know, He's really known as history's greatest evangelist to ever live. He brought so much change on how we see Christianity and sharing the gospel message with others. He revolutionized every thought process you could ever have of how we could do it and how we should maybe do it, right? Because people only change two times. Two different times that people change, when they want to and when they have to. And if you maintain a hunger to allow the Lord to change you, always wanting it, he won't have to change you when you have to. Because you're already changing. People like change. So Paul, if we look at him, a little, little background on, on Paul by birth, he was a Jew. He was born from a Jewish heritage. And by citizenship, he was a Roman. This is important because in that day, the benefits of God, they were for Hebrews or the Jewish people. They weren't for non-Jews or Gentiles like a Roman. But when Paul was born, he just happened to be born within Roman territory. And so by heritage, he's a Jew, but by citizenship, he's a Roman. And then furthermore, by education, he's a Greek. It's starting to get twisted. You see, Paul studied and studied and studied. He was a revered scholar. 
He studied with the greatest, the most elite religious scholars of that day and became so respected of his opinion, but also his opinion on the Old Testament law. I was researching a little bit the amount that he had to memorize just to have the, the reverence of what he had as, as a scholar. Like, he, he had to memorize the whole Old Testament. If you are unfamiliar, that is half of the Bible because the second half hadn't been written yet. And if you know anything about the guy I'm about to tell you about, he wrote most of the second half. So by education, he was a Greek. And then by conviction, Paul, who was at that time known as Saul, chose to be a Pharisee. See, Pharisees, it was a social movement in that day that so strictly observed the traditional law of the Old Testament that they inevitably missed it. They denied Jesus as the Messiah. Paul, or Saul, when I say either one of those names tonight, I mean the same guy. You'll understand why in just a second here. But he missed it. He chose by conviction to be a Pharisee. It's funny, if you look up Pharisee in the dictionary, because of how we use it in today's culture, you'll find self-righteous person. In that time, it was, a, it was a social movement. I hope you understand what I'm getting at right now. It was a social movement. It was something you hashtag and post about. But now we look at it and go, this is a self-righteous person who missed it. Don't miss it. Allow Jesus to change you. You see, Saul, if he was a Venn diagram, let's think about this. By birth a Jew... By citizenship, a Roman. By education, a Greek. By conviction, a Pharisee. That boy looking like the Olympic logo. Are you kidding me right now? And if you know anything about the life of Paul, what I'm going to be getting at tonight, you know what better man for God to use for what he wanted to use him for. Like I said before, the benefits of God in that day were for the Jewish people. But what God was looking to do was allow the benefits of God to be to all people, Jew, Gentile, everyone. And what he wanted to do is he wanted to use Paul to do it through the way of the gospel of Jesus. So if you, if you look forward in Paul's life, later he actually said this, that he desires to be all things to all men. What more relatable guy can you think of if he's got a Venn diagram that looks like that? So in that day, it didn't matter where you were born, what you believed, where you came from, what you did for work, how much money you made or how much money you didn't make. Some way, somehow, you were going to be able to relate with Paul. It's amazing to think of the, the, the relative context of what God was already doing behind the scenes. However, in this moment, Saul, he was not yet Paul. So then, he was not yet being used by God. As much as he thought he was, Saul 
was persecuting followers of Jesus, persecuting Christians. He was a spiritual terrorist. He believed that if you were a follower of Jesus, you were full of heresy, which means you were, you were teaching, believing, preaching, all of it, that it's false doctrine, it goes against the traditional law that we observe, and your punishment, you should be imprisoned or executed. And he would lead these teams of men hunting down Christians. Things change. You see, if we look like Jesus just died, he rose again, he ascended back into heaven, and the New Testament church is born. What a joyous day to be a part of. And then things change. Christians are being hunted. Many of them move away from Jerusalem and they go to other cities to try and hide from the tyranny that's going on. But what happens is Saul, like I said, was so revered as a scholar, he went to the higher authority and gained permission to go into foreign cities and still persecute these Christians. So he would travel out, go into these foreign cities, find, hunt down these Christians, and either put them in prison or kill them. He had a murderous mentality. And we see this in Acts chapter 9. This is where we're going to be a lot of the night. So if you want to open to Acts chapter 9 and follow along with me, you'll find in Acts chapter 9, Saul on his way to a city named Damascus to do exactly what he planned, hunt down the Christians, imprison them, or kill them. And he's on the road to Damascus, this city that is, it's so old and so important. It had a, a decent populace of, of Jews at the time, but it's so old, it dates back to the day of Abraham. That's how old this city is. Hundreds of years later, you have Saul then going to Damascus to kill God's people. And then we see in verse three, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. As he neared Damascus, he was almost there. Like God almost let him do it. He was right on the precipice of this city to go take everybody out. And then a light from heaven flashed around him. It continues in verse four. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He fell to the ground. I love how Pastor Tyler emphasized this last week. If you look in the Greek, he didn't fall out of a mistake. It was a willing fall. It was submissive. He understood in a blink of an eye the reverence and respect that he needed to show. And then he heard a voice. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul, Saul. The writer of this account used this literary element many times throughout his writings. He's kind of like the greatest guy ever known. His name's Luke. Hey. Saul, Saul. It was emphatic. 
to bring emphasis to. Saul, Saul, I'm talking to you, listen up. That was a little scary, right? It scared me. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So let's, let's like think about this for a second. He's bringing emphasis, Jesus is, and, he, and he's getting his attention right here. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Wait a minute. I thought we just said Jesus had already died, rose again, and ascended back into heaven. What do you mean persecute you? When Jesus says this to Saul, he is making such a point of how inseparable Jesus is from his people. You persecute them, you persecute me. You do it to them, you do it to me. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Later in his life, Paul would realize that I was not lunging attacks at followers of Jesus, I was lunging attacks at Jesus. And he even says, we see in Galatians 6, he is inviting the attacks meant for Christ. I'll, t- I'll take them myself, actually. Like any, anyone who's got an attack for Christ, you can just give it to me. He says, I, I bear the marks of Christ. He realizes what he had done. And in this moment, we see the recognition in one simple question. Like I said today, like, like we're gonna be doing this teaching that's it's simple, but God's about to be profound and dramatic. He says, who are you, Lord? Wait a minute. Jesus is speaking to him. The heavens just opened. The, the man that he is persecuting, saying, you aren't the son of man, You aren't the son of God. You aren't who you said you were, and you didn't do what you said you were going to do. But then he falls down and says, who are you, Lord? I get it. Who are you, Lord? In that moment, he understood who he was talking to. In that moment, he realized what he had been doing. In that moment, he had recognition on what he needed to do next and change. This is the change of repentance. In one question, the change of repentance came over Saul. If you want to change, if you want to be changed, it starts with repentance. You're not going to change anything without first repenting. And the thing about repentance I want to be really clear with this because I remember being your age and abusing grace. Thinking repentance is me going, oh God, I'm so sorry. What does Jesus say to people when you find them in the Bible? Now go and sin no more. Repentance is not just an acknowledgement of remorse. Repentance, true repentance is action filled. And go and sin no more. Jesus didn't say, go and just do your best and don't worry when you slip up. I'm still here. Go and sin no more. Be done with it. Change. The change of repentance. So he asked this question, who are you, Lord? And Jesus, he responds in the next verse. We see, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
Now get up and go into the city and await further instructions. So the men traveling with Saul, it says they stood there speechless because they heard the sound and saw nothing. It doesn't say, I want to point this out, it, it, it doesn't say they heard him talking, they heard what he said, they heard a sound, but saw nothing. This reminded me of in, in, in John chapter 12, when Jesus is predicting his own death, then came a sound from heaven, and it says, I have glorified it, and will glorify it again. But even more beautiful, the next part of the sentence says, the crowd had heard something and had said it had thundered. They heard something. They heard it and said it thundered. That's what happened. You see, when God's speaking to you, you know what's going on. You don't need other people to know what's going on. When God speaks to you, you don't need all of your peers or all of your friends or all of your family to get it. When God is clear with you, you're clear with God, who cares what anyone else thinks? When you're at school and you're getting questioned of why don't you drink that? Why don't you smoke that? Why don't you go there? Why don't you hang out with them? Why don't you need a boyfriend or a girlfriend in this season? I heard from God. And they're going, oh, did it thunder? I don't care what you think. I heard from God. You need to walk with that conviction. Because then, Saul does exactly what he's told to do. Despite what the men had questioned or were confused about, the men he was with, they just didn't get it. They thought it thundered. Saul gets up, and he goes to the city, and he awaits further instructions. But here's the thing. Saul, he got up, and he couldn't see. He was blind. The men had to lead him. The guys who didn't get it, who didn't hear from God, had to help him accomplish what God told him to do. Because Saul still had that tenacity of even when the guys are grumbling, I'm assuming, on their way to Damascus going, why are we even doing this trip? We should just turn back and get you help. This is stupid. Why are we doing this at all? No, I heard from God and I know what I'm supposed to do. You're taking me there. Get over it. He didn't see. For three days, he was blind. For three days, he had to just have faith. He couldn't see. He had to just hold on to hope. See, it reminds me of when we didn't see Jesus for three days. But on that third day, he got back up. See, it reminds me when I'm in those situations when I feel like I can't see anything, but what he promised me, he's going to make sure it happens. When you're in those moments and it just doesn't make sense and I can't see anything at all, walk blind with the promise that what he says he will fulfill. See, Jesus... Then came to a man named Ananias. After Saul made it to the city, he went to the house that he was told to. Jesus then comes to a man named Ananias, and he says, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to Saul, 
I've set him up in this place. You'll know exactly where to find him. Here you, here's the, the little GPS location of where he's at. And I want you to pray over him and heal him of his blindness. And Ananias is reluctant. He's going, uh, hey, God, I don't know if you've heard, but this boy out here, like, killing all of us, I'm not going to touch this assignment with a 10-foot pole, like, not happening. And it's, it's interesting if you read this. Jesus replies, don't argue. How many times do you have that testimony? God's telling you to go do something. You're like, God, I don't think you understand my friends. I don't think you get it. Like, they're not going to like me anymore. Or that girl is way too hot to invite to church. She's going to think I'm weird, so I should just date her anyways. Don't argue. Because what if Ananias would have said no? God told him to do something. He just goes, no, I'm good. I'm not doing that. It's too dangerous. It's not happening. Get over it. Okay, I'll go find someone else. He's going to go find somebody with a humble and willing heart. Because God's going to do whatever God wants to do. He just lets us be a part of the fun. And that is the change of obedience. Because Ananias went. He sat with Saul. He put his hand over his eyes. He prayed over him. Saul was healed of his blindness and filled with the Holy Spirit is what it says. Then Paul, same guy, through his conversion later in his life, like I said, one of the greatest to ever walk, right? He sees miracle after miracle after miracle, thousands upon thousands of miracles. We can't even quantify what, what God did through him. Who saw more miracles? Paul or Ananias? The change of obedience cannot be measured. Ananias thought I was just going praying for some, some dude who needs healing. I, I've done this before, I guess, like healed the blind through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's do it again. Not knowing the change of obedience is, let's say Paul saw 2,000 miracles. Well, Ananias saw at least 2,001 miracles. Don't underestimate the change of obedience. Because Ananias made a decision in that moment. By being obedient, he decided, I'm not going to be a spectator. Spectators don't change anything. Have you watched a basketball game? You ever change the outcome of one from the stands? Spectators don't change anything. You, the, the temptation, the danger in reading and following Jesus is being impressed by him and only impressed by him. We aren't supposed to spectate Jesus just as much as he didn't spectate God. He didn't come to the earth and go, do you guys read about what God did? I saw that. I mean, I, I actually saw it. I was up there with him. It was pretty cool. He goes, no, 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 no. This is the new assignment he's got me on. Living in me, 
in on the action with God, living through me. Don't be a spectator because they don't change anything. Ananias laid hands on Saul's eyes. He was healed and filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias laid hands on Saul's eyes. He was healed and filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't want to breeze by this too much right now. He was healed and filled with the Holy Spirit. We live in a generation right now that does not understand the necessity of the Holy Spirit on you. We think, well, if I just do this and I just do that, my life's going to be good and comfortable and I'll, I'll get a hold of Jesus when I'm in a hard time. Oh, I have, I have social anxiety and I'm too shy to talk to people about Jesus. You get the Holy Spirit in you. You ever had a Celsius? Yeah. I've had two and I'm done. I had one and I thought I was going to have a heart attack. And then I tried the other one on Easter morning and I was like, okay, for real, I'm done. But you know what I'm not done with? I don't need Celsius, man. I got the Holy Spirit. I ain't too shy for nothing. When you read, I encourage you, read, read the life of Paul. You'll see one of the boldest men ever, ever. Don't ask for the boldness of Paul because when you keep reading, you'll find the troubles of Paul. Don't ask for the boldness of Paul if you're not willing to take on the thorn of Paul. But through the Holy Spirit, you see what I'm saying? If Paul was just healed, what would he have accomplished? Nothing, because he didn't accomplish anything. It was the Holy Spirit working through him. The necessity of the Holy Spirit on your life, don't ever forget it. My, uh, my nephew, Zealand, he's two years old now. He's in his terrible twos. That's not how I feel about him. That's just what it's called, okay? And what I, what I read was, according to researchers, children going through this developmental period, they struggle so much because they understand so much more than they can express. I can tell Zealand, hey, buddy, go make me some soup. He runs over to his little kitchen and grabs his bowl and his whisk and ketchup and mustard and salt and pepper. He makes some weird soup, dude. But he makes me some soup, and then he starts running the bowl back over, and someone might stop him and go, what do you got there, Zealand? He doesn't say, I made some soup for Uncle Luke. He says, Lou? And that's all he says. And they go, what? And he goes, Lou? That's all he's got. He understood, go make me some soup. But he can't tell me what he's doing. He can go do it. But the frustration comes into play because all of these children have so much they need to express because they're understanding so much and they can't express anything. That's the Holy Spirit on your life. God is speaking to you. But without the Holy Spirit, you don't have the boldness to express it. You don't have the know-how of when to change, of how to change. You're on your own. 
Because the reality about change is that you can change for the better, and you can also do the opposite. You can change for the worse. We see that exact example in Saul's life in Acts chapter 7. You see, we're in Acts chapter 9 right now, when Saul gets converted to Paul, right? But that's not the first time we see him in the Bible. We see him in Acts chapter 7, where first we find this man named Stephen. Very young guy, follower of Jesus, preaching his heart out, given everything he's got with all the passion in the world because the Holy Spirit is on him and he's given it all, wanting to change the world. But those religious leaders we talked about, they didn't like it. They said, no, he's lying to you. Jesus wasn't the Messiah. He's lying. We need to take care of this mess. And then someone suggested and initiated the execution of Stephen. So he gets dragged out of the city, and they're about to stone him to death. And we see in Acts chapter 7, verse 57. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. The reason they laid their coats at his feet is because he initiated it. They're saying, wow, what a great idea, Saul. Let's go kill him. See, this execution, it's very, very important because it wasn't normal. It wasn't happening. That execution of Stephen laid waste to a huge persecution of Christ's followers in that day, all led by the greatest evangelist to ever live. Change. See, Stephen, I want to point out that he died at what they believe was around 28 years old. That's me. When you read your Bible, because I did this at your age, I read about the great men and women of God that roamed this earth that were then documented in this book, and I go, man. I hope I'm a little like that when I grow up. When I'm dad's age, when I'm grandpa's age, I, th I hope I'm, I'm a little like that. I need you to get in your mind right now. Jesus started teaching when he was 12. The time for change is right now. Don't sit here and be like, I'm to this, I'm to that. The time for change is right now. Because Stephen... Filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what we're about to read, gave it all he had. No range, no change. I can do a layup all day long. I know some guys that can't do a layup. Andrew Wiggins. Salty about that other night. No range, no change. Play it safe all you want. No reward in that. But Stephen's out there shooting his shot, giving it everything he's got just to be executed. Acts chapter 7, verse 55 through 56. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, that's key, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God 
and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Full of the Holy Spirit. I want to be like Stephen. I want to give it my all. I want to be out there preaching. I don't care what anybody thinks. I've heard from God. I've repented of my ways. I'm changed. And I know I'm going to get rocks thrown at me. And I don't even care. We literally see this in the next, the next passage. It says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then he died. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. The change of mercy Stephen knew his higher purpose. Stephen knew what he was a part of was a lot bigger than him. So if I live, I live for the, the Lord. If I die, I die to the Lord. So whether I live or die, I belong to the Lord. I want to give it all I got. And if I get rocks thrown at me, pff, big deal. Stephen forgave as Christ forgave him. Because he recognized, you're going to persecute them? Well, you're persecuting me. You want my forgiveness? Well, you're going to need to forgive them. The change of mercy. Here's the change of mercy. Just as Stephen fell on his knees, looked up, saw the heavens open, saw Jesus. Doesn't that sound familiar? It says Saul fell down. A blinding light. The heavens opened. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. In that moment, who are you, Lord? Stephen's prayer was answered. The very man that desired his execution was saved by the mercy that, that Stephen was able to pray. In the exact same fashion that Stephen died, Saul then died to himself and was born again. Who are you, Lord? The change of mercy. Here's the reality. Paul was by birth a Jew. He was by citizenship a Roman, by education a Greek, by conviction a Pharisee, but by mercy a Christian. By mercy a Christian. I want you guys to go read, go watch a YouTube video. That's what I did about the life of Paul. Go understand these people. They are examples to us to understand Jesus wants to change me so that I can change others. Something Paul, was he's famous for saying this. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's our job, right? 
Hey, get their attention. Saul, Saul, look, it's Jesus. Get their attention and reflect them to where it should be. I want to be the type of Christian that is just radical, go for broke, bet the farm. I ain't afraid of no demons. Because I've got the Holy Spirit on me, man. What we see in Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. See, Paul grew into being one of the greatest evangelists to ever walk the earth because he relied on the immutability of God. God is never changing. He relied on the fact that God will never change. Jesus is the God of change and he's never gonna do it. It's not in his nature. It won't happen. He will always be there. Yesterday, today, and forever. He will never change. But he will always change. If you allow him to, he will never change himself, but he will always change you. And we need to come to grips. The change of repentance, the change of obedience, the change of mercy. No range, no change. No range, no change. If you want to be change, you need to first be changed. So I want to ask you this question tonight. Are you going to keep taking safe shots, going for the layup? Or are you going to see change? Are you going to be change? To take part in that reward. God's working. He wants you to join him. He wants you to be a part of the fun. So with every head bowed and every eye closed tonight, I got a couple questions, man. If you have never accepted Jesus as your personal savior, don't be a Pharisee. Don't miss it. Jesus is the son of God. He came to this earth as a baby. He died as a man and he resurrected to ascend back into heaven. He is God in flesh. Jesus did that for you. He didn't do it because he just felt like it that one Tuesday. He did it because without the saving mercy of Jesus, we are all going to hell. Without the, the recognition that he did it for me, he did it for you, 
I've got nothing. So tonight, if you've never accepted that fact into your heart, I want to give you an opportunity to be changed forever. So on the count of three, I want you to put your hand up if you want to pray that with me tonight. One, two, three, put it up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can just put it up, put it it down, thank you. Thank you in the back. Amazing. I'm gonna pray and I want you to repeat after me. If you wanna be changed, we're gonna all say this together right now. Dear Jesus, I need change. I need you to come into my heart, take away my sins, so that I can be changed. While we're still in this moment, I got another question. For those of you that you've been changed already, but you're not being changed, you find yourself being a spectator. You're so impressed by God. You're so impressed on how he works and everyone else and what he's done for you but you haven't taken part in the fun. I'd like us to pray, but first, if that's you, you're ready to be changed. You're ready for it. You want more of it. Whatever step that you have taken in the past, you're ready for something more. All across this place, on the count of three, I want you to put your hand up if you're ready to be changed. One, two, three. I'm with you. I'm with you. If you just want more, you're ready to be more, put your hand up across this place. Here's the next step. Don't put your hand down. Keep it up. If your hand's up, I want you to stand up and open your eyes right now. You want to change the world? This is who you do it with. You want to change the world? You want to be changed? This is who you do it with. See, Paul, he didn't run by himself. There was teams of disciples, followers of Jesus, the ones that went out and preached, the apostles. This is who you change the world with. And so if you want to be changed, It starts right here, right now. If you stood, I want you to come down. We're going to respond in worship. We're going to sing praises unto our King in recognition of who He is, what He's done for us, and what He's calling us to change. If you've got something in your life right now that you you want off, you want it off your back, It happens right here, right now. You want to see change in your own life? You want to get rid of that addiction? You want to stop saying those words? You want to stop watching those movies? You want to stop hanging out with those people that keep you from Jesus? You want to keep that relationship pure? Change. It starts right now. So as we sing, we're going to see these chains break. We're going to see these addictions flee. We're going to see depression lift off of people.